0: Okay, welcome everybody to another episode of the Sample Hour. Um, I'm honored to have this guest on. I've been, I recently started really diving deep into his podcast. Uh, after speaking with Gino Denning, um, and we, when we did the, the series on the art of living, he said you should check out this guy, Jake DeSillis. And, um, and so I reached out to him and he said, yeah, I'll do your podcast. So Jake, welcome to the show, man. Um, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks, Drew. Thank you very much for having me on. Not a problem. I should probably say as well, you can check out his podcast. It's uh, TheVoluntaryLife.com. dot Follow him on Twitter, which is it's at voluntary life, I believe, right? Jake? At the at the voluntary. At the voluntary. Okay, I knew yeah. it was missing either life or the. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't think of it off the top of my head, but um, but uh, so for my for listeners, like the reason why I wanted to have Jake on was um, Jake's podcast is pretty awesome. Uh, he. Pretty much, I would say to summarize your podcast now is you like to kind of convey different ways people can kind of free themselves from the rat race. And something you always say is there's no really right way. Um, there's multiple ways of doing it, and and I've heard you have on like anywhere from uh, somebody who who moved her her and her her husband her and her husband moved their family out of a million dollar home to a tiny house to. Uh, young kids who pretty much uh, are just saving and they want to retire by 30. I mean, you've had so many different guests on. And um, and you yourself actually have a book out, um, and actually I'm going to be probably getting it on Monday, called, uh, from Amazon called, uh, or it should be delivered on Monday, called Becoming an Entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think, you know, in today's economy, especially here in the U.S., and I haven't been to the U.K. in a long time, and I know you kind of you travel quite a bit, but you're based out of the UK. Um, I mean, I feel like entrepreneurship is really the answer to fix a lot of the problems that we have going on um, in today's, I guess, in today's economy and culture.
1: Yeah, and I think most importantly, not just an answer to problems in the economy and culture, but bringing it right back to sort of to oneself. I think it's such an important and positive opportunity for getting more freedom in your own life. I'm really interested in things that I can do personally, that I can take control of, because th- that actually makes a difference to, to my life, to the, the amount of freedom I experience, You know, and that's why I'm not really interested in political movements uh, and trying to influence sort of society as a whole. I- I'm interested in how I can live uh, more free in, in my own life, in the way that Harry Brown, uh, I love the title of that, that book by Harry Brown, How I Found Freedom in an Unfree World, because it's really about what you can do yourself. And that for me, the, the most sort of significant important thing that I've found to get more freedom in my life has been entrepreneurship. And that's what's given me the opportunity to, uh, to do what I want now. Um, but as you say, I also wanted to uh, talk to other people and learn from other people who found different ways of achieving more freedom in their own lives. And that's what my podcast is really about. It's about uh, other people giving their own experiences of different ways that they've achieved uh, more freedom, and and so my aim is to both share my experience, and in particular to focus on entrepreneurship because that's what I uh, sort of have more experience uh, of, but also to share other people's stories of ways that they've found freedom through either things like unschooling and you know making their own educational choices, or ways to find financial freedom through through things like extreme saving, as you say, and um, and. The fun thing is that I get to learn a lot in the process too. You know, I've, I've learned a huge amount from everyone that I've interviewed about different ways to be more free.
0: So what kind of um, – because we were talking before we started recorded, and initially like for – and I recommend people go back and listen to your podcast just because like at first it was kind of like just a discussion of ideas. Like you'd get different authors on and they'd, they'd discuss different aspects of freedom whether it be uh, – um, I mean you'd have like Stephen Molyneux on. You had some like different really cool guests. And you guys would kind of all like bounce different ideas off or what you thought uh um kind of kind of in, in reflection of Murray Rothbard writing and everything. So what kind of like made you wanna transition from like where you're originally at to where you're at now with your podcast?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. And it did uh, actually start just as a book club. I was just interested in in reading um, books about finding more freedom. And uh, so I, I made a Facebook page and, and got people involved and so forth. And uh, and for a while, um, a lot of those books were quite abstract, as you say, and, and some of the earlier podcasts, they're still there, The the sort of more general political books. But in the process, I also looked at books about getting more freedom in your own life. And Things like, um, uh, well, I mentioned the Harry Brown book, how I found freedom in an unfree world, and, and a book called Unjobbing by Michael Fogler, who I also interviewed, the the author for that one. Um, and I found that those were were really interesting because those had kind of actionable steps, things that you can actually do. Although I do, I love um, sort of more abstract books, and I'm really fascinated by theory and economics and psychology and all that stuff, but to a certain extent, you can read that stuff and it's, it's interesting, but where does it take you? you know, um, whereas books that you can do something with uh, are much more helpful. So that's sort of how the podcast began to transition. And then funnily enough, um, actually the reason that it really changed was because uh, I found out, I didn't know this before, but there actually is a Freedom Book Club. There's <laughs> like a website. And um, so I couldn't get that domain name. And I wanted to set up and, and publish these uh, um, book club recordings. So I had to choose a different domain name and I chose The Voluntary Life because I felt that was really about, you know, living uh, as freely as possible. And once I'd I'd sort of sent out the website and actually started publishing the podcast, then I decided to, to, I got some great feedback about uh, some of the more entrepreneurial books we were doing. And I decided to talk more about my own experience. And that's really where it it transitioned, as you say, to being much more about um, positive, proactive things that you can do yourself. And I, got, um, I, I did more solo podcasts about my own experience and then started actually seeking out interviewees who I could talk to about uh, their different experiences. And I still do book reviews um, every now and again. I, st- I still love books. I still really enjoy talking about them. And I still sometimes do Skype calls with uh, a group of people talking about a book. But mainly now it's more talking to, to interviewees and, and me talking about sort of specific subjects. And, and in particular, I focus very much on entrepreneurship, on financial independence and on different ways of living more free.
0: Yeah, so um, to kind of get back into your story, if you don't mind us to kind of transition. Um, so, like to kind of give you know listeners a background. So I know you. I mean, you went through the whole education system. You have a PhD, um, kind of you know the whole thing, and then you you, you transitioned. Uh, to become an entrepreneur, do you mind talking about that a little bit? Just kind of- no,
1: not at all. No, yeah, yeah. I pretty much did every degree that you can do. In the end, I did um, an undergraduate degree and then a master's, and then I did a PhD. So all through my twenties, I was doing uh, a sort of combination of studying and doing some consultancy work and and uh, various jobs, and really trying to find what I was wanted to do. I suppose you know, and that was. Um, that was uh, my experience during that period. I was also living in Berlin for a lot of that time. Um, and my PhD was actually about Berlin, about the property market in Berlin. And I I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I knew I, the longer I spent in academia, the more problems uh, I found in, in, in sort of that culture and that that way of life, if you like, being in academia. And I, didn't, I knew I didn't really want to do that long term. Uh, but in the process of studying, I was learning some uh useful stuff i started off i did a master's um in property development economics and i worked as a property market consultant in berlin this is the period after reunification when things were really changing the whole city was just being transformed and everyone was trying to get their heads around how the property market was developing and how it was evolving i was working there at the time a really great time to live in berlin it was fascinating um, and I found out I knew about these um, uh, modeling techniques uh, that you can use to analyze street networks and understand accessibility and so I decided to see if I could apply some of those techniques uh, in my master's thesis to look at Berlin and to cut a long story short I ended up um, carrying on that research and doing a PhD about how to analyze accessibility in street networks and once I would finished my PhD I had the opportunity to work within the university in a little consulting unit, uh, within the university. But I actually decided I really wanted to not sort of stay in academia. I wanted to, to start a real, uh, commercial oriented venture for this, for this kind of work. Uh, and I wanted to do it myself I wanted to set up my own business. So that's when I left and decided to become an entrepreneur knowing absolutely nothing about what I was doing and making pretty much every mistake possible in the process. Um, which is why I, you know, wanted to write about it as well, because I think a lot of the experience that I had, um, and a lot of the mistakes I, I made, which I do talk about in the book, um, I think are, are useful for other people who are interested in, in becoming entrepreneurs to to sort of. Uh, first of all, they may have some similar experiences, and secondly, they hopefully can learn uh, from my experience and not have to to, uh, to go through so many of the the mistakes that I did.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I uh, it, that's a funny thing. Like when you kind of put yourself out there and you make a bunch of mistakes, like I. I definitely haven't had um, close to the entrepreneurial success that you've had. But I think like even, you know, I talked about like kind of my adventures before, you know, before we started recording with uh, network marketing and everything else like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and it was something that like I don't think like because honestly, like most people that get involved in that like kind of business aren't successful. But like what I learned from making all those mistakes, like it's helped me in my job. It's helped me in becoming like a podcaster. now that like I am focusing more on entrepreneurship. It's like it really does kind of like make help you learn to navigate, I guess, through like I guess through through what you want to do. Like it's hard to like kind of put it in perspective, but it's like uh, like I know what not to do now. And I know like and I know like how to present
1: myself through my mistakes, if that makes sense. I don't know if that's similar for you. Yeah, well, I think entrepreneurship is pretty much the most intense personal development program that you can do. You know, it it challenges you in every way, and uh, you, I, you know, I think you become a better person because of it. Because uh, there is, there's, it's such an amazing experience, and it's also so humbling in many ways. Making all those mistakes, um, but you still have to have, you know, the self esteem to continue going and to learn from your mistakes. And that I think actually really rids you of a lot of um, your sort of preoccupations and and stuff that holds you back if you if you are willing to basically just to go for it and to really crack on and 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 to um, uh, to, to live with the embarrassment that can come from being an entrepreneur and the embarrassment that can come from making mistakes and and still uh, you know believe in what you're doing and 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 do something because you want to give. Uh, your customers something that's helpful, and that you, that you want to create something that has value. Uh, I think that is is so powerful as a personal development experience that it just it it blows everything else out of the water. As far as I'm concerned, if you really want to learn about yourself and learn about your relationships and life, uh, become an entrepreneur. It's an amazing experience in that space. So,
0: what was kind of the tipping point for you to to just go and do it? I guess that's that's like my question. I'd like to know, like, what. What was the point where you're just like, I can't work for somebody else. I kind of got to go do this on my own. Like, was it, was it kind of like the, the, did you kind of just see a future in academia, academia and be like, this is not for me. I've got to do something else or, or was it just kind of like a, did it just kind of happen?
1: I think in, it didn't just kind of happen. And in fact, I actually tried um, a couple of other businesses before the one that I eventually grew to profitability and and really made it and that I sold and and so forth. Um, I tried a couple of other businesses and that was in the time during the uh, mid to late 90s when the first wave of internet um, startups was really sort of making news. And there were people at my age, of my generation, uh, who were becoming entrepreneurs and they were on TV and suddenly the, like it, it seemed like this is actually a lot more doable than than I imagined because beforehand, when I was at school, nobody talked to me about entrepreneurship. I didn't really have a concept of it. It was just... Those were people out there somewhere that I had no visibility of, you know? But that boom in the internet years, even though a lot of the businesses ended up being total failures, and a lot of them were, were, were sort of got sorted through in the recession in the early 2000s and, and, and got weeded out, nonetheless, it was inspiring to me to see that, you know, if you find an area which is innovative, where you can gain an advantage, even if you're young, and even if you don't necessarily have that much experience, you can still gain an advantage because it's new and it's innovative and you can be right there in the beginning, then, you know, you can, you can do it. And so I, I took inspiration from the people around me that I saw um, in, the, in the media and stuff during the, the internet boom years. And because I had been involved in this university research, which was really innovative, which I thought was really useful, potentially useful, I thought, well, this is an opportunity for me to try and do something myself as well. And I did want originally; I intended to stay within the university. But uh, I think the, the the culture within universities, even if there is a commercial company that's kind of linked or based to the university, it's a different thing. It's not the same as starting your own business. You don't have the same freedom. You don't get to do things the way that you want to. And there are all other there are all sorts of other um uh, Constraints and 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 things pulling on on a company that stays within the university. So I really wanted to leave the, uni- the university and do it myself.
0: Yeah, it was pretty much getting breaking the bureau- the bureaucratic chains. You
1: know, yeah, that bureaucracy and being like, <laughs> exactly yeah yeah. <laughs> so I mean, that's part of the fun. If you're going to start your own business, you know, you might as well have the freedom to do it the way that you want to do it.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, if I'm going to do something and fail at it, I want it to be my fault. Yeah. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to have excuses. Like, I want to be like, yeah, I just couldn't get it done. I mean, that was on me. Um, what, uh, so, okay, so you, you get your business, you leave the university, um, you kind of start building up a customer base, you're doing really well. At what point was it, okay, I can sell this and walk away?
1: Like, what, what well, first of all, just to say it wasn't so much start to build up a customer base. It was actually the first year. Almost no work. We had one big project. Um, we spent the first year basically just trying to get work, just trying to sell. And uh, at the same time, developing software and doing all this other stuff. So, you know, this was, uh, as I say, this was not a sort of very strategically planned start in any, in, by any means. I had no clue what I was doing. Um, and it took me a long time to really get a handle on selling on selling as uh, as as the kind of key driver for the learning process about what do customers really need. So that was the the beginning was that uh, I borrowed a huge amount of money, I spent a huge amount of money, and I generally uh uh burned through a lot of that money before I finally started listening to customers and started actually focusing uh on on a kind of outward focused, customer focused way.
0: So what do you mean? So like uh so the customer-focused way, like what was kind of uh, something that, like if, if you don't mind giving a specific example, like...
1: Well, no, not, not at all. And I mean, I think uh, this is actually something that I know a lot of other people do first. So my experience was, you know, I thought that we could develop really cool software and that we could provide a really interesting uh, uh, software as a service business. Um, in those days, people were calling it application service provision. Over the internet, using this technology, And that was what I was interested in, because it was a technical problem, I enjoy solving technical problems, and so I wanted to develop this this software-as-a-service business, and I spent a huge amount of money focused on that and and doing that development. And the problem with it is that actually what the customers wanted was consultancy work. They wanted basically... Handholding, you know, they wanted us to provide the results to them in meetings, so they could then show. And um, basically, it was retail developers and and large infrastructure projects that we were advising on. The software that we were using was modeling pedestrian flow, so we were advising uh, shopping center developers where people are likely to walk if they build the shopping center in, according to this design or that design, and so forth. And. It took me a long time to realize that a lot of the effort that I was spending on solving technical problems was actually going into solving technical problems that weren't necessarily what customers actually wanted, what they wanted to have from us. So and I think a lot of people have that when when they start a business, you want to work on your product, on your on your gadget, your widget, your interesting thing that you think is really you know the focus of the value. Um, and the harder thing is going out there and finding out that customers want you to present your product in a slightly different way or make it more usable or accessible or do whatever you need to do to actually uh, connect with the people who you're trying to help. So that was the learning process for me. And I think that's a learning process for a lot of people is to you know become less sort of inward looking and focused on your own R and D and developing your own technology and spending money on stuff that you think is really important and become more outward looking and actually find out what what is really going to be helpful to people. What do I really need to develop? And in a way, you know, that the the approach that uh, many people refer to as, as the lean startup, where you actually you do as little product development as possible before you get out there and start trying to help people deliver stuff to customers, that approach is is far more successful. Um, because it really uh, makes sh- makes you spend money where you should be spending it rather than um, on things that you find interesting. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that makes sense. So pretty much, you know, you go out there, you, you talk to customers, you find out what your customers are looking for, and then you provide a service based around their needs instead of you just saying, hey, I think you need this.
1: Yeah, and it's always a negotiation. You know, I mean, you, can't, you know, obviously you have a purpose too, and you're trying to bring something new to customers. So there is a sense in which you have to educate your customers about what they can do and, and what would be helpful to them. So I'm not saying that you should just you know be completely neutral and only listen to customers says they want this, then do that, because actually customers don't necessarily know what the best solution is for them, and that, so there's a negotiation involved where you have to adapt what you're doing. But, at the, but it's still really important to, to be aware that you know, the, the whole drive behind entrepreneurship is to help people, to provide something valuable. And if people don't feel helped, then it's not working. You've, got to, you've got, actually got to connect with people and, and evolve your, your offering to the point where it's clear that people really get value from what it is that you're doing so that they see the value that you see in the product.
0: That's awesome. So shifting gears a little bit, um, back in the day, you know, reading books, um, when I first started reading books, I think it was like 22. I remember a book that kind of influenced me a lot that, um, I guess looking back on it, I, you know, I think you should, you should read it with, uh, and kind of, you know, really put a lens over it. Um, is rich dad, poor dad. And Robert Kiyosaki talk kind of talks about like the importance of selling. And I know a good friend of mine actually was trying to do an entrepreneurship thing um and he didn't really take into effect like the the sales aspect of it, mm-hmm. you were kind of talking about that with negotiating, but um, I mean, like how important do you think sales is for you know developing yourself in like entrepreneurship or other aspects even of of i guess your overall personal growth
1: well, um, I think it's. It- totally essential and central to entrepreneurship. And I hated it. Everyone hates sales uh, at first, or at least most people do, um, because it's kind of stressful and, you know, it's it's not exactly fun at first. Yeah. Um, but the thing about selling is that it is really the, the learning mechanism. That's how you learn about what works and what doesn't work and what your customers are doing and what they really need and so forth. So, I think it's actually a, a really, really important part of the process. And once you kind of adjust your attitude towards sales and and think of it as your learning process, at least to me, that was my change of, of uh, mentality about it was to to understand that it, this was how the, uh, the business was going to get the information it needed to evolve. This is how we were going to uh, get better at what we do is through selling because selling is... You know, that's the final test of of what you're doing. It doesn't matter how good you think whatever you're doing is. The question is, does anybody else want to pay for it? And if they don't, then you've got a problem. So selling is is the way that you learn and the way that you get the information you need in order to evolve your business. And it's also, it's a numbers game. You just have to keep doing it. You have to get as much data as possible. And so once you see it more as a process rather than every individual sale as being a kind of potential for rejection... Once you start seeing it as a process and see the information that you can get from it, then, uh, you know, it can actually be super interesting and, and, and really you, you, a really fun process that you learn a lot from as well. It's exhilarating, you know, when you can get into that mindset about it, even though, you know, it's pretty stressful at first and, and nobody really likes it at first. By the way, just on, on the book that you mentioned on Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I, I think I've got various criticisms of, of um, Robert Kiyosaki's ideas. Which is probably a, uh, for another time, we can get into more detail. Like, his, he has much of a focus on real estate and, and in terms of, of, of some of the ideas. But I do think that some of the things he says about selling are, are really inspirational. Absolutely. And some, some of the things he says about sort of going for it in terms of, of your own financial freedom are really inspirational too.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I didn't want to sound like I was criticizing. I think, uh, I mean, that was kind of it. Like, I think um, Robert Kiyosaki kind of points out his path. He talks a lot about that, and a lot of people are upset because, like, uh, I guess it wasn't re- like the, ch- the his story that he tells is kind of like it's not necessarily true, but it's it's a story, and people love mm. stories. And I think people lost sight of a lot of things, and people also immediately look to criticize. And it's usually instead of saying um, instead of criticizing for like how to help somebody improve something, it's usually they're criticizing something else to explain why they can't do something. That's kind of something that I noticed. Um, if that makes sense, but, uh, no, I think that's a great book. And like, that's actually reading that book is why I, I got into sales, um, personally. Mm. Um, and, uh, so I, I think it, it's a great book to read, but I, again, like I think, you know, I just wanted to kind of say, you know, don't, don't expect to go buy houses and trade houses for hotels or just yeah. you know, his exact model. I'd also highly recommend, uh, his board game, Cashflow 101, I think that's a great game and it kind of helps you learn how to balance your finances and it helps you realize, you know, what's actually an asset and what's actually a liability. And uh, I'm a huge fan of that game. Like that game really helped me out with, um, I guess, kind of like peace and things, even though I didn't use it right away. Like now that I'm older and I'm not young, well, I'm only 29, but now that like I'm kind of like reaching the peak of not being a crazy 20-something-year-old kid, um, it's it's been really helpful looking back on it, and it's something I want to revisit. Uh, mm. But, uh, uh, man, I was going to ask you something else, and I got uh, I distracted myself there, Jake.
1: When, well, while you're, <laughs> when you're remembering it, I'll just say another thing about that book. Um, like, all these things, I think, you know, it's so important to to read these books and get the useful stuff out of them, and you don't have to... You can ignore the stuff that's not useful. You know, you can, you can pick and choose... And you know, people, I think, become very focused on whether or not Robert Kiyosaki overall is a good or bad guy. And I'm not even interested in that. I'm interested in you know what are the useful bits that uh, I can take from that book and what are the bits that I can just ignore because they, they don't make sense to me or they, I don't think the argument's hold up or whatever. And um, one of the things that I took from it, I really like – Robert Kiyosaki was one of the first people I read who talked about financial freedom being a question of how long can you go – before you have to do work that you don't want to do, want to a length of time into the future that you don't have to do anything that you don't want to do. That's a great definition of financial freedom, and I, I really, you know, that that really stuck with me from that book more than anything else. I've forgotten most of the stuff he said about re, about uh, real estate, but just that definition of financial freedom, I've always found very very helpful.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree, and I think it's uh, it's something that. Uh... You know, I hear you, your message in your podcast kind of talk about that is and that's that's pretty much it. Like, you know, if you're not I mean, the, the reality is as soon as like like I work for a very large company and I'm in sales, it's a pretty easy sales job. But for me, I look at it as like a way to get capital for my own entrepreneurship. Like, right mm. now, you know, I, I suck it up for a few years, save as much money as possible, then look to to start my own business or start stuff on the side with, with like-minded individuals. And, uh, but as soon as I, I go into work every day, I am voluntarily, um, putting myself in a tyrannical environment. Like I have to take breaks at a certain time. I have to take lunch at a certain time. Like none of that stuff is on my time and I can, you know, I can stay focused and just focus on the task at hand helps me kind of ignore that. But when you work a job, I mean, that's really, that's really the thing that kind of bugs me the most is like, uh, you know, that you are willingly, um, putting yourself in that kind of tyrannical environment. And I think, um, I think that's something that's not necessarily talked about a lot by a lot of people that, you know, preach liberty and everything else like that. And I think, um, you know, and I don't want to sound like a negative thing either. Like you have to be able to provide for yourself. Like that's, It's something that's necessary to do. We're not prepared, you know, we're not prepared from our schooling system to to be free. I mean, it's and it's not and I don't want to like sound like, you know, conspiracy or anything like that. But the the bottom line is, is like, you know, you get out and like I mean, for me personally, I got out in the real world from high school and it was like, okay. Where's the manual at? Oh, there is none. Yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely <laughs>
0: there's no manual for me how to be successful in my own endeavors like it's it's you know go to school if you don't go to school you won't get a job and then it's like man i can't I can't sell my job to anybody i don't own my job like it's literally a, an agreement of labor it's not i mean it's it's just kind of one of those things
1: well i've got a, th- a few thoughts about uh the the kind of question of how do you get more freedom when you're working a job, you know, when you're not an entrepreneur. And, you know, one of the most uh, exciting and interesting things that, uh, that I've learned about through interviewing people is the whole movement or, or culture or approach of extreme saving. And people who are, they're going for financial freedom, Just they're not becoming entrepreneurs, they're just doing it through paid work, but they just go in for seriously hardcore saving. Right? They're going for more than 50%, up to 75% even more um, of their of their income they're saving. And that's a really interesting approach. You know, it's not the approach I took, but I think that's a really interesting alternative for people who feel like, you know, they're not in a place or environment where they can see entrepreneurial opportunities. That's one approach that that I think is worth finding out about. And there are a lot of people out there who write and blog about this. And you can see some of them are, uh, in, in my podcast, the interviews that I've done, um, with people who have that approach. And I, I think it's really inspiring that approach. But another thing that I wanted to say is that even if you do uh, you know, want to become an entrepreneur, one of the things that I've written about in, in my book is how useful um, your paid work can be for getting connections, for getting a network, for finding people, who you may be able to work with, and most importantly, for gaining industry knowledge. Yeah. You know, I, th- I think that's the key thing is that for anyone who's in a job and, and you know, feels like it really sucks because, it, and it can do all of the, the restraints on your freedom that you mentioned, Drew, but uh, the, the opportunity is there to just be a sponge for information about that industry and just find out, you know, what is it that people need? What is not working so well? Where are the opportunities and, and so forth? And who are people who I can connect with, who uh, I could potentially work with? Because the interesting thing is when you look at statistics for startups, um, there's a, a very interesting study of which startups fail and which startups succeed. And they look at various uh, data points about that and, and, uh, and factors influencing it. And when they look at how did the people who make startups know each other, what they found, uh, one study that I've read um, uh, from a book called The Founder's Dilemmas um, by Noam Basserman, he found that he looked at startups that were formed by friends and family, um, startups that were formed by co-workers, and startups that were formed by strangers. And what he found was that the coworkers were more successful in particular, more successful than the friends and family. And even the strangers were more successful than friends and family, interestingly enough. But if you want to start a business, you know, your your network of people, um, just in terms of people who you might be able to work with, uh, or even people who you may choose to to go into business with, of course, you can do it on your own as well. But, um, but that, I think, is really interesting. There's a lot of useful stuff that you can get out of the experience, uh, even though... Uh, the experience kind of sucks in many ways um, uh, during those years before before you get to, to branch out on your own.
0: Yeah, Jim Rohn would always talk about sharpening the saw, and that's kind of the way I always kind of look at it. Like whenever I go to work, like no matter what job I do, what skills can I learn that I'm going to be able to use later on in life, or what what can I learn? And and I like and right now, I mean, I, I learned a lot from when I was working at a nightclub about how kind of cash businesses work like bars and nightclubs and stuff. Mm. And uh and besides that, I've been in telecommunications for almost 10 years. Um so that was interesting as well. And and I've done like pretty much all forms of sales. And so it's like it, it helps me be dynamic in a sense of for you know I'm negotiating in the future or just even negotiating things now. Um it's like it's you know and, and it's still I guess it's it's always you know I always look at it I mean and I know I was kind of hyping on negative stuff but like in reality I mean you you have to make you have to run with the positives you have to run with okay what can I learn from this um and everything else like that um but uh man Jake I just I distract myself every time I ask you something I'm like I like I kind of like you'll say something and I'm like man I gotta say something about that like (laughs) <laughs> that really resonated with me. Oh, loose network. Uh, I've had a couple, a guest on a couple times. Um, he just wrote a, a, a book kind of about our economy and he's, he's a blogger, uh, Charles Hugh Smith. And he talks about like how your loose network is really going to be like in, in like this economy now, or even like for the future economy, how you get your job or how, how you build your business and, and everything else like that. Like, it's like, it's not necessarily who I know, but it's my friends and who they know. And for them, it's who my friends are and who they know. So, and it's kind of like, you know, building that network. And when you're talking about coworkers, it makes so much sense because there's certain people that I really don't care to hang out with outside of work. Like I like, I like working with them. Like I really respect them work wise, but outside of work, I don't, I don't hang out with them at all. And, but I know if like there was a good job or something coming up or there if there was a position that I would be qualified for, I have plenty of friends that would hit me up and say, Hey, I think you should apply for this. I think this would be good. It'd be great to work with you again as well. Mm. And, and I think, um, so it makes a ton of sense. Like I've thought multiple times about trying to start some, you know, maybe sales consulting business or something with, with a group of co former coworkers or friends. Um, but I haven't quite ironed out the kinks in that. And it's just like an idea that I've kind of shelved, but, um, Anyways, Jake, I'm uh, getting myself distracted again. I don't know what's wrong with me
1: today, Jake. My
0: apologies.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No problem. Well, I'll say one other thing while you're you're thinking about uh, the next thing. So another aspect of of finding more freedom at work, and this is another thing that I have uh, talked to people on my podcast about, is the whole concept of unjobbing, which I think is a really interesting concept too. And in a way, that is an approach which is less about gaining financial freedom to the point where you can retire early. You know? I mean, that's been my focus. That's been what I think is kind of like the ultimate goal that, that really uh, helps you get more freedom is, is not having to work if you don't want to. But there are some people who take the approach that you know they don't, they don't necessarily mind doing, doing work as long as they don't have some of those downsides that you talked about that go with the job, like for example, having to be in at a certain time and having to take breaks at a certain time and having to report to somebody that they don't enjoy working with and so forth. And so unjobbing is more of an approach of just like, well, how can I make money without having those aspects of a job? You know, How can I work from home? How can I work on stuff that is really meaningful to me? And how can I, maybe not even from one particular income source. Maybe it's a a whole bunch of small things that I do. How can I transition this job from being one where I'm in, you know, having having to commute and deal with all of that stress and having to be in the office at a certain time to a different kind of work, which maybe I'm a freelancer or maybe I produce, I have a number of uh, revenue generating uh, smaller projects. And that I think can be an interesting approach too. And it doesn't have the financial safety or long-term security of building up your investments and living off them in the same way that the approach of extreme saving or, or becoming an entrepreneur and really, really uh, building up a business that you might be able to sell doesn't have the the, the, sec- the, the term security of those approaches, but it's one way that some people choose to get more freedom in their working lives too.
0: Yeah. And, uh, what I was going to ask you about was, uh, um, kind of piggyback off that. So when was it, uh, to kind of get back to your business, mm. um, with you selling it, like when? When were you? When did you know you're
1: ready to sell, and when did you know you're ready to get out? Well, so business was started in 2000, and uh, the period 2000 to 2005 was just one long hard slog to get out of debt uh, and into profitability, and to to build a business, and and uh, that was really the the learning process, and and uh, I talk about how. Uh, how my approach totally changed during that period of time and and the things that I learned. Anyway, we got to the point, I had one business partner, and we got to the point in in 2005 where we were actually making a really good profit and we were able to pay off all of our initial startup loans. So we paid them off with interest, so we were totally debt-free, we were making a really good profit. And at that point, we were in a really good position because... The most important thing about selling, if you if you are intending to sell a business, is whether you know w- what your negotiating position is. And because we had a profitable business, we didn't really need to sell. It wasn't like we were desperate to get out or anything. The, the business was doing really well, so we had a period um, after sort of two thousand and six where we just started thinking about all of the companies that we worked together with, that we developed relationships with, that we had done a lot of projects together with. And we eventually, um, for one of the one of the companies, a, a, a multinational engineering company that we'd worked with for many years, who knew us and trusted us and, and knew that we were very professional and so forth, we uh, we got into negotiations with them, and that eventually led to the sale in two thousand and seven. And as part of the sale, I then stayed on with that company for three years as an earnout agreement, and that. It's quite a long an hour agreement compared to some some companies but it's typical often that you'll need to stay on with the company that buys your company to basically help integrate it and make sure that all of the kind of customer relationships are kept and 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 so forth. So I stayed on until uh just before the end of 2010 and that's when I retired. So
0: with uh and I know we're kind of running out of time but so then when did you start kind of building um, the permanent your permanent portfolio which um Which, in reference to what you were saying earlier for listeners, the Harry Brown book that he discusses earlier is what, where, isn't that where you kind of got the idea for the permanent portfolio or when when to...
1: Yes, yeah, yeah. So, um, the permanent portfolio is, it's an approach to investing, just in terms of how you, which uh, investments you choose and how you choose to rebalance. And it's a very passive income, uh, sorry, a very passive investing approach. Um, And I basically started learning about that in about, I guess, 2004. And so, I I already knew about the permanent portfolio before um, we sold the business, and it was it's really just it's an approach that I followed even while I was still an entrepreneur. I started to to uh, adopt that approach to passive investing, basically. Um, and it uh, very simply it just means that you hold uh, gold, um, index funds of stocks, you hold know, long term bonds and and cash, and you, you hold those in. Uh, roughly twenty five percent each, with some rebalancing bands, and you rebalance periodically. And I adopted that approach because it was very much a uh, an approach of managing your own investments. You keep your expenses as absolutely low as possible. It's a passive investing approach. And so, when I sold the business, I was able to then use the funds from that and just you know carry on um, using the same sort of private investor, individual investor approach, just with with more funds, though.
0: It's awesome. Well, I tell you what, Jake, um, we're kind of running out of time, but i uh, love to have you on again. Um, uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll hit you up once we're done recording. Maybe we can schedule something, but, uh, everybody go to the voluntary life.com. Um, uh, go to iTunes and subscribe to his podcast, rate and review. Uh, and actually if you could rate and review mine as well, that helps us out a lot. So iTunes doesn't track downloads, it tracks reviews. So Kind of like a Yelp for podcasting. So if you could give us some good Yelp reviews on, for podcasting, we would appreciate it. Um and uh and so go follow him on Twitter. It's it's at the voluntary, correct?
1: That's right. yep yeah. And uh the website is thevoluntarylife.com. Thanks for what you said about reviews. That's great, Drew. That I I definitely appreciate that. Yeah. And the other thing the other thing is, you know, if if uh, people are interested in in this topic of entrepreneurship, then uh, the book is uh, becoming an entrepreneur, and it's on Amazon in uh, ebook and and uh, a physical book. Uh, so you can you can find it either through my website or on Amazon.
0: Yeah, I was going to get to that. Uh, yes, buy his book. I bought mine. <laughs> it should be here this week. I'm going to start reading it. Uh, but thanks a lot, Jake, uh, and uh, everybody. Thanks again for tuning in.
1: Thanks, Drew. That was fun.
0: Yep, not a problem.